0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, such a blessing to uh, be here leading worship and uh, going through God's Word. We're continuing or starting a new sermon series through the letter to the Corinthians. And we begin in chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, or the Apostle Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, send us your Holy Spirit so that we would believe in your word, that we would receive the wisdom of God and that the wisdom of the cross would transform our lives. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Christianity will never be cool. It will never be popular. It will never be mainstream. It never has been, and it never will be. In fact, we can look back at ancient artifacts and see this is how it's always been. Here is uh, some graffiti from the second century. Uh, they found it, it. It's called the Alexamenos Graphito, which in, in, in Greek it says Alexamenos sabetaya Theos, which means Alexamenos worships his God. And basically, what this is, is this is kind of the thing that you would find in the back of a bathroom stall, right? Someone etching in some. Some derogatory graffiti against the Christians. He's saying, look at Alex He's worshiping his God. This is his God, this Savior, uh, who depicts here as a donkey up on a Roman cross, kind of making fun of Christianity. Christianity's has never been cool. It's never been popular. Never has been, never will be. Think even today. How many... People, do you know, uh, get up every Sunday morning in your neighborhood or in your family and join you in church or go to another church? Uh, when you gather together, even for the birth of Jesus, for the, the Christmas story, how many times did we actually talk about Jesus and make Jesus the focus of those meetings? Or is it really popular or encouraged to talk about Jesus at work or in, in the marketplace? Christianity's never been popular, ever has been. It never will be. And we've tried. It's not for the lack of trying. Uh, we've tried to, to make Christian, Christianity popular through politics. Back early as Constantine in 313 AD, when he legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, we thought now Christianity is going to be popular. It's going to be cool. It's going to be mainstream. But all it did was make Christianity more watered down. And we've tried that over and over again. We thought, if I just get the Roman Empire, the, the leaders, if I just get the right people, the right president in power, maybe we can make Christianity cool. But it hasn't happened. We've tried it through Hollywood. We've tried to make Christian, so-called Christian movies. And let's be honest, many, very often they're, they're B-list actors and, and they have low-budget films and, and the storyline isn't, isn't really that dramatic. We tried it through Christian music. And some of the Christian music has stood the test of time, but it's never really become mainstream. It's never been part of the main culture. Christianity has never been cool, never has been, never will be. In fact, when we try to make Christianity cool, it comes across as forced. Um, it comes across like a father trying to be cool around his teenagers. And I have this, know this from experience. Uh, last week, I was taking our. our our kids to a basketball game. And my son and and my oldest daughter was in high school and some of her high school friends were in the car and they were talking with each other. And after all, I said, I don't know what you're saying. You're using words like bet and cap and no cap and vibe and drip and spilling the tea. I didn't know what they were saying. Finally, I said, I need a dictionary definition. And so they told me what all these words meant and I started using them and they said, oh, no, no. Dads can't be cool. You're trying too hard. It's not for you. That's what it's like when Christians try to. Our Christianity is never going to be cool. Never has been. Never will be. We're starting a brand new sermon series called Foolproof, and the whole point of this sermon series is to talk about how Christianity is countercultural, how it's going to be considered foolish to the world, and, and the and we're going through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And today what I want to do is try to answer the question, why will Christianity never be cool? Why is it never going to be mainstream? Why is it never going to be popular? And answer that question, we'll go back to our reading to 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul was writing this letter to this church that he started in Corinth. That's modern-day Greece. And the reason... Paul was writing this letter because he loved this congregation. He says it right in the beginning. He says, I'm thankful for you. I love you. He loves this congregation he started. But there was also a lot of problems. They were part of a secular culture, and many people in that congregation still had a long ways to go. They had a lot of growth uh, to take on. And so there's some issues in the congregation that he's hearing about and that they've written him about and he's responding to. And so this is what he says in verse 10. I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so Paul is saying, I want you to all agree with one another. I want you to be united. I want you to be unified because there was a problem of division. They were dividing into these little cliques into these little groups. And so he explains what he's hearing about in verse 11. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, or Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, now, what's going on here? Well, as you continue to read the rest of the letter, and you read from the book of Acts, and kind of piece together what was going on in the congregation in Corinth. It seems like there was a group that was gathering around Paul, and there were kind of like these little cliques, these little groups. And one group was probably saying something like this. I follow Paul. He is a great missionary. He's starting churches all over the world. He started this church. I follow this great church planter, this church starter, Paul. I'm part of the Paul party. And then Paul, because he kept on traveling, going to other places, uh, another preacher came in to take Paul's post, and his name was Apollos. And when we read the rest of the book, letter to the Corinthians and the book of Acts, we find out that Apollos was an eloquent speaker. Uh, that he was known for his way to, to woo a crowd. And so it seems like maybe a group was gathered around him saying, I follow the the orator, Apollos. It was great that we had Paul, but but now we're going to do something important. Now we're going to do something uh, incredible because now we have this eloquent speaker. And so there was a group that was fo- uh, forming around Apollos, the Apollos party. And then there was another group that, that was kind of gathering around Peter. And maybe they were saying things like, I follow Peter, the traditionalist. He, he was an original apostle of Jesus and, and he still keeps kosher laws and, and he holds to our traditional values. And then another group saying, I'm part of the Christ party. We're not getting caught up in all those little groups. I'm part of the real Christians. And when you hear it that way, it sounds a lot like a high school cafeteria, doesn't it? That everybody's kind of gathering in their groups. Um, You know, I'm part of the jocks or I'm part of the drama group. I'm part of the honor roll group. And it's not wrong to gather in groups, but what makes it wrong is when you think your group is better than somebody else. When you look down on other people. And that's what's going on in the Corinthian church. And so Paul calls them out. And later on in the letter, he says this, Brothers and sisters... I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You're not motivated by the Holy Spirit, but as people who are worldly, mere infants. You're acting like kids. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. You're being motivated by the values of the world. For since there are jealousy and quarreling among you, you are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings? So what Paul is saying here is, you are being motivated by the ways of the world, and so he says, grow up. Grow up spiritually. Uh, If you got into Christianity because you want to be a part of the popular group, the cool group, the in-group, you don't understand what Christianity is all about. In fact, the message of the cross, it's always going to be foolishness. That's what he says in this next line here in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. Always has been, always will be. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul is making kind of this thematic statement that he's going to carry out really the whole, whole letter. That the message of the cross, it's It's never going to be completely accepted. It doesn't go with the ways of the world. It's not going to ever be super popular. It's not going to make sense to the ways of the world. It's not going to make sense to human reason. But that doesn't mean that the world has something better to offer. In fact, Paul goes on to explain the wisdom of the world and what's happening to the wisdom of the world. He says, but where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So where is the wisdom of the world? Does it stand the test of time? When you look at the so-called wisdom of this world, does it last? We can think of some contemporary examples. The wisdom of Charles Darwin. I mean, the, the man was a genius. He wrote The Origin of the Species. And, but he basically set out to prove in that book how you could have the origin of life and the, and the origin of all different species without God, that it could happen naturally without God, without God creating. And that seemed like the wisdom of, of the world seemed very wise when he wrote that, but over time, even secular scientists look at that and say, non-life can never produce life. It's It's foolish. And simple cell organisms cannot make more complex organisms now based on what we know about DNA. And so the so-called wisdom of the world is now seen as foolishness. Or we could look at the so-called wisdom of Sigmund Freud, the the father of modern-day psychology. And this idea, he kind of came up, he wanted to come up with a theory of, of healthy psychology, healthy mental health without God. But now, even secular psychologists, they look it back at some of the things that he wrote and his hypersexualization of of everything in the human psyche, and they look at it as foolishness. Or you can think of Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the the father of modern day philosophy. He wanted to come up with the philosophy of life without God, and wanted us to be our own gods and make design our own destiny, our own views of morality but it didn't even work for Friedrich Nietzsche. His own philosophy led him to go insane. And so like Paul says, the wisdom of the world that seems so wise today, it's perishing. It doesn't last. It doesn't hold up. And so God had a different way of coming to us, of showing us his wisdom, and it's not through the wisdom of the world. This is in verse 21. For sins in the wisdom of God, this is how God did things, In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. You're not going to get to know God through the wisdom of the world. But God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. God wants to come to you, not through the wisdom of the world, but through the simple, seemingly foolishness of preaching by people like myself. The simple hearing of God's word, the simple reading of the scriptures, the simple foolishness, seemingly foolishness of some water and baptism, of what seems to be foolish, a wafer and wine. God wants to come to us through these simple, straightforward means to reveal the power of God. And that's always gonna seem like foolishness to the world. It's not gonna be accepted by the world. And Paul explains why. Next verse, he says this. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And so Paul is saying here that, that Jews, they, they demand signs. We see that throughout Jesus' ministry. They're always asking Jesus to give us more miracles, prove that you are the Christ. In fact, when Jesus is up on the cross, they were saying, come down from the cross, do one more miracle to prove that you are God. And he didn't. And so because he didn't do a miracle from the cross, the Jews looked at the cross and they said, that's foolishness. The Greeks always were prizing wisdom as their highest thing that they, that they praised. And they were always trying to find out what's the, the, the wise life, the most productive life, the, the, the life of wisdom that avoids suffering and, and gets flourishing. Well, you look at the cross and it doesn't look like very wise. All the decisions that Jesus made led him to die on a Roman cross. So it looks complete foolishness to the Gentiles. And then I would add that Americans, what do we prize? Success. Numbers. Um, outward power and success. And you look at Jesus and he's all alone, basically has no followers, no money, no following. He looks like a complete failure. And so at every level, the cross seems to be a stumbling block. And behind it all, the idea that the reason Jesus had to be the cro- go to the cross is because that's how far God had to go to rec- rescue us. And so that helps us answer our opening question, Why will Christianity never be cool? Why is it never going to be mainstream? Why is it never going to be popular? Because the cross of Christ offends every culture. It's offensive to human reason. It's offensive to all of us at some level. It doesn't look to be powerful. It doesn't look to be wise. It doesn't look to be successful. It looks like nothing. And it it humbles us to actually think about why he had to go there. And so it'll be offensive to us. And yet, you're still watching this. You're still here. A miracle has taken place that that you still believe this. Why is that? Why do some people still believe this seemingly foolish message? Paul explains. But to those whom God has called by the power of the Holy Spirit both Jews and Greeks and Americans and Asians and Africans and Australians, people from all over the world, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So Paul will go on, he explains that this is the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that somehow God calls people to believe this and somehow by a miracle you believe this. And when you believe this, you, you no longer just value those worldly things, but you value something else. You can look at the cross and see some of its wisdom. For example, just think about it. When we really look inside of our hearts, we see our selfish motivations, we see our, our failures, our selfishness, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness, and we see the wickedness inside of us. And deep down we know that we have no reason to be in God's presence. God should just wipe us all out. But instead of wiping us out, he has every reason, in fact, it would be according to his justice to wipe us all out. God in his wisdom becomes one of us. He takes on evil into himself and pays for it on the cross and comes out on the other side alive and resurrected as a victor over all that is evil. It's the wisdom of God. Or maybe we could look at it at the, at the cross and the wisdom of God in this way. Every one of us is going to suffer. If you're a human being, you're not going to ex- escape this world without suffering. It, you're going to suffer. And every time we suffer, we have a thousand why questions. God, why would you let this happen? God, why, why is this going on? What is, what is this all about? And God doesn't always give us, or very often we don't get an answer to the question, but instead we get a person. Jesus, who becomes one of us and suffers in every way that we do so that he can sympathize with us in our suffering. And I go on and on about the wisdom of the cross, about how it it, it transforms our lives. And and, and really, Paul, that's why Paul said, when I was among you, I claimed to know nothing except except Christ and him crucified. In other words, there are a thousand sermons in the cross of Christ. There, there's an endless amount of, of wisdom in the cross of Christ. It's going to take you the rest of your life and eternity to see the myriad of ways that, that God's wisdom is bound up in the cross and the empty tomb. And so that leads to an application. Paul says in, in verse, or chapter 3, verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standard of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. He's saying, don't be deceived. If you think you're so wise and so cool and so hip and so popular according to the ways of the world, be careful. All those things that seem so wise and popular and cool and trendy and in right now, Are not gonna last. And be okay with with being foolish according to the ways of the world, because that's really the wisdom of God. And so here's the main takeaway. Embrace the foolish cross so that you might become wise. Embrace The foolish cross. Embrace all that the cross means. God's forgiveness, God's acceptance, God's love, what God views as a real sacrifice, what God views as valuable, what God means by by living a life of service. Let the cross of Christ be your philosophy of life. Let this be the guiding principle of life. Let this be the lens you see everything through. Um, Embrace everything it means in the cross, embrace the whole, all the foolishness of the cross so that you can be really wise, so that you can actually have something to offer this world. Some real wisdom. But how do you do that? How do you let your whole mind and heart and be conformed to the cross of Christ? Well, it comes by being immersed in scripture. Every year we do a read-through-the-Bible plan through the UVersion Bible app, and it's been really wonderful. last couple of years, I think last year, we had about 250 people signed up and, and read through their whole Bible in a year. And we're going to do something different starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, January 3rd, we're going to read through just the New Testament this year. So it'll be smaller readings. We're going to read through the New Testament during the week and the Psalms on the weekend. And if you want to participate in that, all you do is go to VOTL. Dot life forward slash Bible. And you can sign there, click the link, and you'll go right into the version Bible app. If you're having any trouble, let me know. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. But every single day, we're going to read through the New Testament and let our minds not be conformed by what's the latest thing on social media, what people the world value, what, what's going on in the world, but we're going to let our minds and our hearts be conformed by Christ and his word and what he believes is valuable. You see, Christianity is never going to be cool. It's never going to be popular. It's never going to be mainstream. It's never going to be accepted by all of society because it goes against human reason. We have to, it means that we need to be saved and we need to be rescued and I'm broken and I need help. And that just goes against our human nature. So it's never going to be cool, but it doesn't have to be. Just like fathers don't have to be seen as cool by their kids, by their teenagers. In fact, they don't want that, right? Right. They don't want us to try to be hip. They don't want us to try to be cool. Uh, All they need from us is to be present and to be loving and forgiving and mature and wise. And that's really what the culture needs from all of us as Christians. They don't need us to try to be hip and cool. They need us to be present and forgiving and wise and mature and loving. And so embrace the foolishness of the cross so that you can be truly wise and that you would have some wisdom to offer to our world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts so that we would see how, how wise the cross really is. We'd see the myriad of ways that you come to rescue us and heal us and save us and change us, that we would see what sacrifice looks like. You, we'd find the answer to our suffering and our pain and our victory through the empty tomb. Holy Spirit, conform all of our mind and our thoughts and our whole philosophy of life according to the cross so that we would have some wisdom to offer to the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.